Praise God for each and every one of you who are present this morning. Um, Under the sound of my voice, I pray that the Lord would uh, speak to you through his word. If you could turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And we're going to look at verses 6 through 15 today. And as you turn your your Bibles and and stand to your feet in uh, respect to, to God's word, Um, I do want to say that I'm so glad that you all are are here today, and I pray that this week was a fruitful week for you. I pray that you uh, lived in such a way uh, that would show off the goodness of God to those who are around you. I pray that the Lord gave you the grace this week to be conscious of your mission and the reason that he brought salvation to you, which is to show him off to everyone else. And I I pray today that if that was not what marked your week, and if you were not conscious of that this week, that uh, through God's word and through the fellowship of believers today, that you will be inspired to live in that way in the upcoming week. That is my prayer. That is my prayer. Uh, Today we are going to uh, deal with the last part of our series, which is Rise to the Occasion. Uh, Next week uh, we will have a standalone sermon And in August, we will start a a new series. We will be preaching through the book of 1 Corinthians, um, starting in August. Uh, But as of today, we're going to finish out our series, Rise to the Occasion. Uh, For those of you who are visiting with us and who haven't been here, uh, basically what we're doing is we've been looking at uh, the key components that made the University of Louisville a winning team. Uh, We've been looking at those key components that makes a team uh, a, a winning team. And we've been looking at how the Bible uh, shows that that those components are necessary to make uh, the church a a winning church. Uh, Both the universal church, the church that is spread all throughout the United States, and the local churches. Uh, The people of God, the ecclesia, those who have been called out, those who have been called to assemble together in a specific location to be salt and light. Uh, God has given us some some basic components that will make us a, a winning church for our community. Well, today we're going to look at that last component, and we're going to find that last component in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 through 15. What you hold in your hand is not some self-help book. Um, It's not your your buddy. It is the the very ruha, the very breath of God. It is written by man, but inspired by God. It is inerrant, sufficient, and without error. It is what we sit under. It is food. Uh, for our our, our souls. Let's read at this time. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency, In all things, at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. 
You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it's also overflowing in many thanksgiving to givenness to God. By their approval of the service, they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from a confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surprising grace, surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. You may be seated. Today we'll be looking at this text, and we'll tag it, rise to the occasion and give, rise to the occasion and give. As we uh, look at this text, we will uh, mostly dive in and and deeply deal with verses 6 through uh, 8, and then the the rest of the chapter, we're just going to pull out some nuggets uh, from. The the folks over at Emory Sports Marketing uh, Analytics in an effort to determine what college basketball program in the country has the strongest fan base, or what they call fan equity, uh, may have accidentally uh, thrown some fire onto to, to, to some wood that uh, some wood onto a fire that was already burning in Kentucky. Uh, what they did is they they put together a a, a very uh, detailed and, and scientific uh, 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 equation in order to determine who has the best fans in the United States. So they they looked at uh, team revenues as a function of the team's performance, and they measured the team's winning rates in the past few years, along with the team's postseason success. And what they did is they, they, they figured that the key insight into this model is uh, when a team achieves revenues that really greatly exceed the team's former success. Um, and, and they put this together in, in, a, in a very interesting way, and they, they did the research, and what they found was that the University of Louisville had the number one fan equity in the country. Uh, they, they put it together, this great company, and they said, University of Louisville has the best fans. And the University of Kentucky came in number seven. That's right. U of K was the, had the seven best fan base, all right? Um, which I'm sure upset it are uh, those who are, are you upset those who are U of, U of K fans. And uh, as they looked at this, they, they just talked about how the University of Louisville fans just really supported uh, their teams like, like none other. In fact, when you look at the revenue of the University of Louisville's uh, athletic department, they received more money than, than some professional NFL teams. Uh, last year, they raised more than the Green Bay Packers, for example. The closest team when it comes to basketball revenue in the country, I have heard, is the University of North Carolina. And they were behind the University of Louisville by $15 million. $15 million, Brother Dent. (laughs) North Carolina fan. Where's Brother McCray? That shows that the city of, of Louisville has a, a high respect 
for the University of Louisville. We support our Cardinals by buying apparel, by going to games. And if it's a, a big game and a game that means a lot to us, uh, we, will, we will travel to it. Um, I know this year we had a number of, 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 of members who, who went out of town to support their Cardinals. Um, that's absolutely amazing. And the reason we do that is because we have pride in our city. We have pride in our teams that the University of Louisville has gripped our heart. Uh, they, they excite us. We, we hope that they will win um, because we want to be part of a winning city. We want to be part of a, a winning team. But in the same way, the church will not be able to, to complete its mission to spread the good news of Jesus Christ without generous and, and thoughtful Christians giving consistently and with open hands. But what does Christian giving really look like? What does the Bible say a, a Christian should give? How do we know if we are giving in a way that pleases God? What is our follower equity as followers of Jesus Christ? Today we'll look at what Paul says here in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and we will, we will learn that, that God calls us to give generously, thoughtfully, and gladly. God calls us to give generously, thoughtfully, and gladly. And when, as Christians, when we give generously, thoughtfully, and gladly, we can step back in faith and watch God move. We can watch God move in, in just about every area of our lives. That's what we'll learn today. Paul here has been encouraging the church of, of Corinth uh, back in, in chapter 8, verses 1 uh, through chapter 9, verse 15, we see he, he is encouraging the church of Corinth to complete the collection that they had begun earlier on, um, a collection that they had begun to, to raise uh, in the past. Uh, the church at Jerusalem was suffering. Uh, they were under immense persecution. And Paul is writing churches, encouraging them to give, to, to collect an offering, to set aside money in order that they would be able to relieve the Christians in Jerusalem who were suffering. Being a Christian in Jerusalem and many parts of the world back then just, just was, uh, wasn't popular. It was cultish, and, and Christians had hard times getting jobs and, and had hard times once they were discovered as being Christians, uh, supporting their family. Uh, they were really struggling economically, and Paul is saying, let's let the church come alongside this church in Jerusalem and let's relieve them. So the first thing we see in this text that Paul calls them to do is he calls them to give generously. In verse number six, he says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. The Apostle Paul here uses an, an image or an analogy of a farmer. In verse 6, he says it very clearly that whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And this is a picture of a, of a farmer who has, of course, seeds in their hand and there, and he's out there sowing and, 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 and preparing for a harvest. 
And the basic point that Paul is making, the the maximum that he is, is making here is simple. Farmers who do not sow a lot of seed won't get a great harvest. But farmers who do sow a lot, who do sow bountifully, they should expect a great harvest. In the same way, Christians who have a generous heart and who give generously can expect to receive generous blessings from God while those who hold on to their money and and on to the things that God has blessed them with can can expect little blessings in return from God. From God. So Paul is calling us to look at the example of a farmer and look at what he says. He who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully, that word bountifully is also uh, closely associated to the word whoever, blessings. So whoever sows blessings will also reap blessings. Whoever doesn't have a, a closed heart. This is a, a biblical principle that is found both in the Old and New Testament. And sometimes I think um, sound preachers in fear of, of sounding like a prosperity gospel preacher ignore this principle. We, we ignore verses throughout the Bible that declare and promise that those who give generously will receive from God generously. And I looked about at about 10 New Testament passages that, that affirm that and looked at them contextually, and there's no way around it. Proverbs eleven twenty four, 24 is probably what the Apostle Paul is meditating on here as he's writing to the church of Corinth. For it says, one gives freely yet grows all the richer. Another withhold what he should give and he only suffers once. Whoever brings blessings will be enriched and one who waters will himself be watered. Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Give, and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 6, 33, that even though we live in the kingdom of this world or in this world, that we should not be like the world in seeking after the things of the world. He says, seek ye first the kingdom of God, life with God under his ruling care. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added. In other words, the Bible says, when we are focused on God's kingdom, and when we bless God's kingdom that God in return will bless us. When we give generously, we can have faith that God is going to move. Now, we want to understand that we don't give generously to earn God's favor or to manipulate him. God's favor cannot be earned. It's It's grace. Grace cannot be earned. However, we can live confidently knowing that God sees our giving and that a generous heart will not go unawarded. He awards accordingly, according to his inexhaustible wisdom. 
We also don't want to give generously because out of an attitude that says, you know, God needs my money. Or the church needs my money. That's why he's talking, they just need my money. My money. The Bible actually goes against that whole philosophy. It teaches us something radical. Are you ready for it? You don't have any money. You don't own anything. First Chronicles chapter 29, verse 11 through 12. Everything in the heavens and earth is yours, O Lord, and this is your kingdom. We adore you as being in control of everything. Riches and honor come from you alone, and you are the ruler of all mankind. Your hand controls power and might. It is at your discretion that men are made great and given strength. Everything in the heavens are yours is what he says. Psalm 24 and 1. The earth is the Lord's, the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. Haggai chapter 2 verse 8. God says to the prophet, the silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. It's not yours. Watch those personal pronouns. You own absolutely nothing. I own absolutely nothing. Well, I got to get in my car. It's not your car. It's God's car. I'm adding some, a new patio to, to my house. It's not your house. It's God's house. It's not your kids. It's God's kids. It's not your spouse. It's God's spouse. It's not your assistant. It's God's. We don't own anything. Everything that we have is from God and belongs to God. We are stewards of what God has given us. We're not owners. We're stewards. That's a big difference. And I have to remind my heart of that. And you should remind your heart of those truths as you look to Scripture. God doesn't need our money. The cattle on a thousand hill belongs to, belongs to him. The milk that you drink comes from the cow that he created. We don't give generously uh, because we make a lot of money. Some people say, you know, he, he says here, whoever sold sparingly, Whoever sows bountifully, reboundifully, and we lie to ourselves sometimes and we say, if I had more, I would give. I would give more. But when the Bible talks about giving both to the rich and to the poor, God expects both to be generous givers. God expects both to be generous givers. Now, what a, a poor person is giving out of what he has is, of course, going to be different from what a, a, a rich person gives uh, as, as a lump sum, but, the, but the, 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 the maxim is still the same. If you don't give because you're not in the class that you think that you should be able to give to, be in in order to give, um, that really just shows a, a heart issue of a lack of faith and a lack of trust in God. And the Bible says, he who is faithful over little, I will make ruler over much. If we're slow to give when we only have $100, we will be slow to give when we only, when we, if, we, if we have $100 million, because it's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. The world says, the Bible says in Acts chapter 20, it is more blessed to give than to receive. The world says 
It is more blessed to receive than it is to give. God flips what the world says and what they believe upside down. And as kingdom citizens, we look different and live differently because God's ways are not like the world's ways. And his thoughts are not like the world's thoughts. We don't give generously because we make a lot of money. Chapter 8, verse 1 through 4 in 2 Corinthians, look at what, what it says. This is absolutely stunning. Not amazing, stunning. It is amazing, but... Verse 8, Paul says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. So he's trying to encourage the church in Corinth. And he's pointing them to another example of churches in Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. So this is a church that is suffering themselves and that is poor themselves. And yet Paul says they had joy in their poverty and they had generosity to give. Verse 3, For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. So here's a, 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 a poor group of believers who hear about other believers suffering, and they say, wait a minute, we want to help. And the Bible says that they gave according to their means, which means that they weren't uh, <laughs> foolish. There's a difference between giving in faith and giving foolishly. Okay? They considered their flocks, they considered what they had, and out of their heart, out of a heart of generosity, out of a heart of worship, out of a burden for their brothers and sisters, they contributed what they could. But then it says, and I can testify, and beyond their means. And there were some who said, yeah, but I'm going to make a sacrifice here. I'm going, to, I'm going to give, and it's going to hurt a little bit, but I'm going to make a sacrifice here. Of their own accord, meaning that we didn't beg them to death, <laughs> and we didn't make them feel guilty. Rather, they begged us. Look, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. They gave out of their poverty according to their means and yet above their means. The issue with our giving again, generosity, has little to do with us having the money and more to do with us uh, uh, having a heart for the things of God and a burden for the people of God. It has more to do with our failure to give generously has more to do with us wanting and desiring to keep up with the world. We give generously at the end of the day because God gave generously. If we are going to be bountifully givers, it is because we look at the example of God who gave generously. God sold bountifully when he gave us Jesus, the first fruit of all creation. And as a result, we have reaped bountifully from that seed that first died in the ground and that was resurrected from the grave. We give generously because love gives. 
The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave. God's love for the cosmos, God's love for the world resulted in him giving to the world. And our love for Jesus, our love for his gospel, our love for his mission, our desire to see lost people saved, our desire to see the poor fed, our desire to see widows taken care of, our love for them motivates our giving. We only have a love for those things if God has captured our hearts through his spirit by grace. Are you giving to be a blessing to your church or do you give in a way to just get by? Is your giving a blessing or is it a, I'm just giving to get by. Just giving to be seen when I come up on Sunday. Would you describe yourself as a generous giver, who, one who sows bountifully, or would you describe yourself as one who sows sparingly, inconsistently? When was the last time that you looked at your, your, with your income, looked at your bank account, and you began to scheme for the kingdom of God? You know how we scheme for shoes? Well, if I take 10 from this check, 18 from savings, 17 from this account, and if I can get Nuke Nuke to give me that 10, I can get those red pumps. If I take 1,500 of my $3,000 tax return, I can get a flat screen TV. When was the last time your heart was burdened in such a way for the things of the kingdom of God that you schemed? And you looked at what you had and said, how can I today be a blessing to the church? How can I be a blessing to the people of God next month? Who can I save up to bless anonymously? We should give thoughtfully. We should give thoughtfully. Verse 7, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. Our giving should be should not be a careless afterthought. It should be done with contemplation and prayer. That's what he says here. He must give as one has decided in his heart. I love that word heart. It shows that, once again, giving is a heart issue. It's an affection issue. It's something that we should think about. It's an act of worship. We shouldn't be giving God our leftovers or the change or the $5 bill that's balled up at the bottom of our purse. Yes, I found $5. I'll give this when I go around. We shouldn't be giving God our our leftovers. We We should be systematic in our giving. And we should give as if we are approaching the presence of our king. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2 says, this is about giving thoughtfully, on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. On the first day of the week, he gives them a time, an appointed time. 
On the first day of each week, you should set some money aside. When you get paid, set some money aside. Then he says, store it up, save some money up. According, as you may prosper. So Paul isn't saying, he isn't trying to take advantage of people. So that there will be no collecting when I come. Paul did not want to have to come and be in the presence of everyone and constantly to, to, to try to convince people to raise money. He said, when I come, I want to be able to just minister the word of God as a missionary. He's telling the pastors that's there, that's shepherding the church, encourage them to have things ready when I come so that I, I can collect it or, or one of the persons I send can collect it, and we can help relieve saints. Each one should give as he decided in his heart. That is a, a thoughtful, uh, systematic contemplation over what they have and what they can give. This statement also shows us that Christian giving is not according to the tithe. Tithing is a a Jewish principle. The New Testament does not command us to to tithe. It is uh, uh, under the, the Jewish law. And when Jesus died upon the cross, that the Jewish law no longer uh, transferred into, uh, into Christianity. The tithe, the principle of a tithe, however, is, is still a, a, a good principle um, that, that I believe that Christians could go by. The tithe is taking 10% of your earnings and setting it aside, that's what the Jews would do, 10% of whatever they received, whether it was uh, uh, in, in, in produce or, or whatever, 10% of whatever they received, they would take and they would give it back to the, to, the, uh, to the temple or to the tabernacle in order to supply for the poor, in order to supply for the Levites, the priests, and, and in order to keep the things of the kingdom of God, the mission of, the, uh, of God going. So as Christians, we do not necessarily tithe. That's not a law. If you don't tithe, you're not condemned or you're not sinning. Um, It's not something that that God would necessarily consider as a sin, but the state of our heart can be sinful if we are not giving based upon what the Bible or New Testament says giving should look like, which is generous, thoughtful, and, and, and gladly. For the Christian, we should spend time praying about what we can give, and we should remind ourselves that our giving reflects our heart for God. Your give, what you spend money on, reflects what you care about most. Some of us is food. And, and of course, we spend more money on food within a month, but, but a lot of that isn't, we don't eat <laughs> simply to live, we live to eat. Some of us, we say, I don't have no money, but we spend $100 a month eating out on ourselves. But we barely give $30 to the mission of God. For some of us, it's clothes or et cetera. I believe that the tithe is a great principle. So when we say tithes and offerings here at the church, we're not saying it as a law. We're saying it as a, a principle. The Jewish people, they set aside 10%. That wasn't, the only t- that wasn't the only thing that they gave. They also gave an offering. That was a, a gift in between their receiving of their produce. They would give a, a free offering each time they came before the Lord. On top of that, when you look at the law, they had rigorous uh, 
uh, commandments about how to take care of the poor. So they were expected to, to give to the temple. They were expected to give to the poor. They were expected to tithe. When, when uh, I once read that it came out to about uh, a faithful Jew would be given about 23% of their income to the Lord each month. 23%. Statistics show that the average Christian gives 1% to 3% of their yearly income to the church and to charity. What would our churches be if we saw giving as an act of worship? If we spent time thinking about how God has blessed us, meditating on the goodness of God, and then give, give to God out of a heart that appreciated his blessings. Out of a heart that said, what I have does not belong to me. I'm just a steward of it, over it. God gave thoughtfully. The Bible says that God gave thoughtfully. When it came to our, our sin issue, God didn't just throw up anything. When you look at the Bible, this is a, a thoughtful plan. Before the foundation of the world, God slayed the lamb, his son. We look at how the Old Testament, how in the Old Testament Christ is concealed, but in the New Testament Christ is revealed. That's thought. God gave us his very best, and that's what motivates us to give. Next, we should give with a glad heart. We should give with a glad heart. Look at what it says. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So Paul says, yo, when you come and you come down to give your offering, don't come with an attitude. Don't come thinking like, man, what I could do with this hundred dollars. Don't come as a duty. He says, come with a, a cheerful, a, a glad heart. And that's not something that we can make ourselves have. That's something that only the Holy Spirit can make us have. And that's something that we as Christians will only have if we're walking in the Spirit. Because only when we're walking in the Spirit does the things of God seem more pleasurable and exciting than the things of the world. Only when we're walking in the Spirit does giving to the mission of God seem more fulfilling than constantly giving to the things that entertain us. I'll never forget, man, I was in, in Michigan when I was a college student. I went to a concert at a church, and they said it was a free concert. It was, uh, I'm not going to say the artist, it was a, a, a fairly known gospel artist. Me and my friends go, I'll never forget, I was sitting in the balcony. I was so blessed by the music. And right after the artist got through from singing, they said, okay, we're going to collect a, a love offer. They said, oh, it's a free concert, just give what you can. So everybody came around and they gave. They said, uh, before we leave, we've locked the doors because we want to count the money that we received. And we're not letting anyone out until we've reached our quota. And with this amount of people, we're sure that we met it, but we want to double check. And I was like, no, they didn't. And they seriously <laughs> held people hostage <laughs> until they reached their quota. They raised another offering. And I think everybody in there felt indignant, but nobody wants to be the person that kicked off the little mini riot, you know. <laughs> but that's not how the church does it. We, we don't 
compel and, and beat people up to give. Rather, we, we teach people what the Bible says about giving. And we show people how God gives. And we remind people that our giving comes out of a heart that wants to steward what God has given well and a heart that wants to see God's mission go forth. Individually, when you give, do you give out of a heart that says, I am so thankful that God has blessed me to give? And I am anticipating giving this gift, or is it a routine and a duty? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse, uh, chapter 13, verse 3, says this about giving. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be, be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. He says, you can be the best philanthropist, the best giver in the world, but if you're doing it from the wrong heart, you haven't given anything to the Lord. But the next thing we want to remember in order to have a a cheerful uh, continence, a a glad heart, is who we're giving to. We are giving to God. Remember being at a barbershop once, I shared the gospel with a guy who who claimed to be a Christian, but before that, the reason I shared it with him, because I I knew he wasn't by the way he was talking, um, and I'll never forget, he says, oh, I'm a Christian, I just don't go to church. I said, well, why don't you go to church? He said, I ain't giving those preachers my money. And I, you know, he just went to this long spiel about how all these preachers and pastors had all these nice cars. And I said, brother, I'm a pastor. You want to see my car? <laughs> and that was at the time when I had, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know. I wasn't pulling up to pick up Amber when we were dating with uh, confidence at all. (laughs) Yeah. We would be driving. Amber would say, isn't that the car you have? And I'd be like, no, that's not the car. My car is bad, but my goodness. That's what you think my car looks like? But that was, that was an excuse. Sure, some people take advantage of the gifts of the people of God. And plenty of churches preach a, a prosperity gospel, a false gospel. But we have to remember, when we give, we're giving to God. We're giving to God. We're not, we're not giving to the pastor. Even if, if we feel like the fund, some people say, well, the church isn't doing, they don't use the money the way I think that it should be used. And they use that as an excuse. They use it as an excuse. Every dime is not going to be spent how you think it should be used. But you're trusting that the Lord has sent leaders who will divide the monies appropriately. And when you feel they don't, you talk to them. And at the end of the day, you still give to the Lord, but you give praying, Lord, help change their heart to have a biblical perspective of giving. Numbers, chapter 18, verse 24, for the tithe of the people of Israel, which they present as a contribution to the Lord, I have given to the Levites for an inheritance. Therefore, I have said of them that they shall have no inheritance among the people of Israel. Listen to what he says, for the tithe, talking to the the, the children of Israel, the Jews, of the people of Israel, which they present as a contribution to the Lord. He says, you're giving to the Lord. But the Lord, he says, but I take that money and I give it to the Levites. The Levites was those who served the people. They were the priests. 
They showed it, sold it, uh, uh, they served the people in a, vari- a variety of ways. The Bible says that those who serve the people of God through teaching, they deserve double honor. It says, do not muzzle the ox. Do not starve the ox. Don't starve the person who is serving you. So we want to check our attitude about giving. And maybe, that's, maybe that's something that you're hiding behind in order so that you can buy the latest outfits or go on a cruise with ease. Maybe that's an excuse that you're hiding behind. But you can't argue with the word of God. Even in the times of Samuel when the priests were wicked, <laughs> when the priests were wicked, God still told Israel to give. Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, to those who weren't tithing, to the people of Israel who were building their own, taking care of their own homes before the house of God. Do you know what God asked the people in Malachi time? He said, will a man rob God? You know, this week, that, that question pierced my heart. I said, Lord, am I robbing you? What do you think about the way that me and my wife give? I want to give with a heart of joy because, after all, you gave. Your son gave his life for us gladly and cheerfully. Though he suffered and wrestled in Gethsemane, the Bible says that his his disposition to give his life overall was one of joy. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God for the joy that was set before him. Jesus gave generously. Jesus gave thoughtfully. Jesus gave gladly. There's a lot more in this text that we could go through. I'm going to fly through some some quick points of what how God moves when we give. Verse 6. Look at this. The point is, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. The benefits of giving. How do we stand back and watch God move? We, we do it knowing that God gives back to us generously. Number one, we already talked about. Number two, God loves givers in a special way. Look at what the, the Bible says. Look at what it says. He says, for God loves, verse 7, a cheerful giver. God loves all of his people but he has a, a special love, a special blessing for those who are giving out of the right heart. Verse 8, God gives the giver grace and contentment. Those who are giving cheerfully, God gives grace and contentment, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency, another, another translation, some translation says, so that having all contentment and all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. The person who is giving generously is a person who has a heart of contentment. They have a heart of contentment because they learn to have a heart of contentment, but they also have a heart of contentment because God is blessing them with a heart of contentment as they step out on faith and give to the work of his kingdom. Verse 10. God does a special work in the heart of a giver, and he even increases their righteousness. Look at verse 10. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of his righteousness. Even in the Old Testament, that was a principle that we saw, that God says when you give, 
I'm going to do something special in your heart so that you will blossom. Psalm 112, go home and read it, so that you will blossom holistically, not just as a giver, but as a person. Verse 11, God will make sure that you are able to continue to give. He's going to bless the person who gives by by helping you to continue in giving. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. So the person who's giving generously, the Bible says God is going to continue to supply your needs. Of course, you may go through a season of drought. But overall, when you look back at your life, you'll say, man, God continued to supply my needs so that I could continue to give. Verse 12, A, God meets the needs of the saints through your ministry. Look at this. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints. God meets people's needs as a result of your giving. 12B, people live with greater thanksgiving because of you. But is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. When we give to God, he meets the needs of saints. And they are then even more the thankful for God as they are seeing that God provides for his people. And one of the main ways that God provides for his people is he provides through his people. Say like money don't grow on trees. But money should be coming flow should be flowing from one person to another in the body of Christ. And we should be meeting each other's needs. That's what Paul says in, in chapter 8. He says, hey, the church in Macedonia gave so that uh, this, these, this group would have, and you should give so that this group will have, and one day they'll give when you don't have. Verse 13, our God is glorified by our giving. God is glorified by our giving. By their approval of this servant, they will, be glor- they will glorify God. God will be shown off as a result of your giving in the lives of these people. They will go around and testify and say, yeah, the church is being persecuted, but our God is supplying our needs. He will be exalted. 13, 14, relationships are formed because of generous giving. Relationships are formed. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Paul is saying, your relationship with this group of Christians and another part of the world is going to be strengthened as a result of them seeing the love that you have for them. There's so many benefits in giving. Our gifts, they impact people in so many ways. When we give, uh, when we steward our, our monies well, and when we make giving a, a priority, when we rise to the occasion and give, God does so many different things because he loves a cheerful giver on so many different ways. I'm not telling you to give to the church and neglect your family. I'm telling you the exact opposite. First Timothy verse 5, verse 8 says, anyone who does not supply for his relatives, especially those in his household, is worse than an unbeliever. So we want to prioritize our giving. My first job is to make sure as a husband that my family is taken care of. I'm not saying spoil your wife. I'm saying take care of her. Like you heard the pastor. <laughs> giving all your money to the church and I'm walking around like this. Got 15 sundresses in the closet. 
We give to our family. And we give to the poor. Outside of giving to the church, we give to the poor. Matthew chapter 25, verse 31 through 45 says that that's a way that we know that, that, that our love for God is pure. James chapter 1, verse 27 says, True religion is pure, a religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Pure religion, when a person has truly been captured by God, they have a heart for the poor. Remember one celebrity saying, uh, someone asked him, does he give to the poor? He says, no. They know how to say, uh, can I help you please? Welcome to McDonald's. And that just shows the state of his heart. But sadly so, many Christians have a similar perspective. We don't give to the poor because we say, well, I'm not going to give because they'll probably just drink it up anyway. No, you don't want to give because you're stingy. (laughs) And you want to eat it up at Golden Corral after church. Now, we give with wisdom, and we don't give to support an addiction. But we could say, can I feed you? I can go up the street and get you some food and bring it back. give to our family, we give to the poor, but we we give to the church. Why is giving to the church constantly, consistently, with a a cheerful heart, with, with thoughtfulness so important? Because the church is the only organism that has literally, literally been called to save the world. It is God's kingdom. It is God's people who supports God's mission. We are responsible for snatching people from the pit of hell. And yes, we want to give to different charities and support different ways. But before that, we want to make sure that we're giving to the church, a local church that has a clear mission, that's stewarding God's money well. We want to come to that church and give generously to it. And the ones that are struggling, we want to call them out on them and say, this is what I think the Bible says and this is what I think we're doing. But we still want to give because we have a mission. Newburgh will not be reached with us giving the crumbled dollar that we find in our purse. It will not be reached with our members not contemplating their budget, making a budget, and thoughtfully giving to the church out of that discipline and stewardship. Financial guide Howard Dayton said this, during the crusades of the 12th century, the crusaders hired mercenaries to fight for them because it was a religious law. The the mercenaries were baptized before fighting. Before going under the water, however, the soldiers would take their swords and hold them out of the water to symbolize that that Jesus Christ was not in control of their weapons. They claimed freedom to the use of their weapons in any way they wished. Unfortunately, that illustrates the way many people handle their money as they hold their wallet or purse out of the water. Their attitude is, God, you may be Lord of my entire life except the area of money. I am perfectly able and capable of handling that myself. And we may not say that with our mouths, but our hearts show it when we look at what, how we spend our money from week to week. 
The Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave. And our hearts should say that I so love God that I'm willing to give. God gave generously, thoughtfully, cheerfully. And our last verse, look at this. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Paul points us back to the gospel. He points us back to Jesus. The inexpressible gift of God. He said, I can't even describe. I can't even describe the gift that we received in Jesus. He's saying, give out of a heart that overflows with Jesus. Give out a heart that says, God, you have blessed me in so many inexpressible ways. Second Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, Paul said this of speaking of Jesus. For you know the grace of your Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you may become rich. That's an inexpressible gift. For those of you who don't know Jesus, I'm not, today this, this sermon doesn't apply to you. We're getting ready to take an offering, which is an act of worship. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I'm going to ask you not to give. Because God doesn't want your money. He wants your heart before he gets your money. He wants your heart. And you should give him your heart because you need him to have your heart. Because when God doesn't have your heart, you have your heart. And the Bible says that man, the heart of man without God, is deceitful and desperately wicked. Without Christ, we live life according to our own advantage and our own way, which is completely different than the advantage in the way of God. God has given you a gift in Jesus Christ, and he's offering salvation to you. He's offering eternal life to you, and this gift comes through a person who was rich, who was in heaven reigning, but who became poor, who became a man, and who died on the cross in order that you would have life in him. Jesus is the inexpressible gift. And my words fall so short, so short in expressing what you will have in him and why you need him. But look to him by faith. Trust in him with your heart. Beg to him to give you new affections. Beg to him to transform you from, from your kingdom, from Satan's kingdom into his kingdom and to give you new life. And the Bible says, he will. Confess with your mouth, believe in your heart that God raised Jesus Christ from the dead and you shall be saved. Father, we thank you for your word. I thank you for your people. I pray, Father God, that you would take these, these words that in many ways, apart from you, was weakened and, we, and weeble. <laughs> I pray, Father God, that you would take these words that were so imperfect but that you would take your word, which is perfect, and that you would make it come alive in our heart. Help us to be a church that gives generously, thoughtfully, and cheerfully. And help us to trust that when we give that way, that we can have faith that you will provide 
our every need. In Jesus' name, amen.